everybody. How you doing? And welcome to the John Riley Project. It's Friday. So hope you're all getting ready for a great weekend. And as a matter of fact, I think it's Good Friday. So, uh, you know, for those of you that are Christian, this is a big holiday or really not a holiday, more of a holy day. Gosh, I remember when I was a youngster, I went to Catholic school, first to eighth grade, we used to have to spend three full hours in church from noon until 3 p.m. every fr- uh, Good Friday. That was a grueling effort for an 11-year-old, but uh, we we powered through. Um, anyways, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming on board and sharing in this live stream. You know, we do this every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at two o'clock, and we're live streaming on Facebook and on YouTube. So we welcome your thoughts, comments, just uh, type them in. We'll read them on the air Um, today. Gosh, there's, there's so many things to talk about. I mean, there's the whole circus with, with uh, representative Matt Gates, you know, the Republican Congressman that's apparently sex trafficking and all kinds of crazy stuff. We're not going to do that one. Um, There were some terrible shootings up at the, um, you know, in orange, in orange County, as well as in Washington, DC, I think even today, we're not going to talk about those. There's the whole Derek Chauvin trial, which actually is worthy of talking about, but we're not going to get into that one today. And by the way, I'm hoping that Derek Chauvin is uh, or Chauvin or Chauvin, the, the, the officer that essentially put his knee on George Floyd's neck. I'm hoping they find him guilty. Imagine if they found him innocent. I mean, we would get it'd be like Rodney King, you know, kind of situation blowing up um, where there would be a lot of unrest. So let's hope that doesn't happen. Uh, But today we're going to talk about three things. Um, I want to talk about a recent, uh, you know, it was a, a segment on CNN about a doctor wanting to limit people's rights as it related to the vaccine. So I want to break that down. And, you know, in this podcast, I like to talk about local issues as well as national. So I'm going to speak at length, I think, a little bit about some housing issues, particularly here in my hometown of Poway. And we're going to break down you know, a number of things with some new development. And people are just freaking out over all this new development in our town. And we're going to look at that through a number of different perspectives, mostly related to property rights and and to overdevelopment, and we're going to kind of go through some of that as well. It seems to be a recurring theme in our community, and I enjoy talking about it in the podcast. And then finally, um, it's uh, it's Padres opening day. So we're going to, or yesterday was Padres opening day, so I got my thoughts and comments on that. So, boy, we've got a lot to get into. So this will be a fun conversation. So, again, um, hope you're having a great Friday, and if it's, if it's a... Um, uh, you know, it's a live stream, so we welcome your thoughts and comments. So feel free to type those in and uh, let's get into it. So um, so anyways, this 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 uh, segment of, of the Chris Cuomo show, you know, who Chris Cuomo is he's the younger brother of New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. And Chris Cuomo has his own show on CNN and he's a pretty interesting character and he sometimes gets heat for what he talks about, but generally I think Chris Cuomo, I generally like him. I mean, he's, he's a pretty interesting guy and he had on his show, um, Dr. Leanna Wen and Dr. Leanna Wen is a, uh, you know, obviously a doctor and speaks out often on CNN um, as, as it pertains to COVID. And you've probably seen her numerous times and she is a physician Dr. Leanna Wen is a physician, 
an op-ed columnist for the Washington Post. She's a CNN medical analyst. In fact, she's the former health commissioner for the city of Baltimore, Maryland, and the former head of the Planned Parenthood. So this is a very interesting character. Um, I've always enjoyed watching her. And a lot of times she presents really solid scientific evidence. And and then interestingly, she she kind of looks like my personal doctor that I, I have at Kaiser Permanente here in San Diego. So at any rate, Dr. Leanna Wen was on the Chris Cuomo show. And I'm going to try something here in the podcast. I've never done this. I'm going to actually try to just play a video in YouTube but I'm not going to do the screen share. I'm just going to play the audio portion. And I'm assuming by playing it, you're going to be able to hear it. So I'm going to put on my headphones and, and hopefully y'all hear this piece from Leanna Wen on the Chris Cuomo show on CNN. And it's just 38 seconds, but I'll probably pause it a couple of times. And so here we go. So, She's saying the vaccine is the ticket back to pre-pandemic life. That makes a lot of sense, right? You know, if if people get the vaccine, they won't be spreading the um, they won't be spreading the virus, and people can behave and act more safely. And I, I think that sounds like a great idea. But she goes on further with this, and I think she takes it too far. And so, hear this out. So she's upset or freaking out that states are reopening and not just a little bit. Some states are opening at 100 percent. Now, if you're a person that is a supporter of our inalienable rights of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, well, we want the economy to be open, you know, and, and people to behave safely. But for her as a public health official or a former public health official and now a CNN medical analyst to her, this is freaking her out. Aha. So see, she wants to set it up where in order for us to be free, you need to get the vaccine first. She wants the vaccine to essentially be the carrot on the stick that would allow you to have further liberties, further rights. That's where she's going with this. So just a few more seconds of this piece. So there you go. Um, now, hopefully you guys all heard that <laughs> um, if, if my streaming software is working properly. Um, but the interesting angle to this whole story is, is that she wants to essentially make the vaccine, the, t- the ticket back to pre-pandemic life, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I'm with her there. Um, but she says that if you are vaccinated, then you can be free because um, she doesn't want people to have freedom without the vaccine, but the, that's the part that she doesn't get. And when she was saying this, I was thinking, "Uh oh, she's saying the things that you're not supposed to say because she wants to use this pandemic as a means of limiting people's freedoms, limiting people's rights. That's where I think she went too far. And it's like in the past podcast episode when I talked about uh 
vaccine passports where, you know, people want to strictly limit people's behavior to just to do everyday things in life, just to go to the store, go to the movie theater, um, just do routine things in life unless you have the vaccine, unless they can say, show me your papers. And so they can approve you to do what you really should have the right to do in the first place. So this is where it gets really kind of crazy. And, you know, normally I would think, okay, well, if it's a doctor or a scientist, and I understand from their perspective, they want everyone vaccinated. And, you know, I'm a big supporter of vaccines. I'm I'm signed up to get my vaccine on the 20th of April. And I actually am going through my healthcare provider at Kaiser Permanente, it makes me wonder if I really should just accelerate the process. I know um, here in Poway at our Costco, they're they're having appointments where we can get the vaccine and I can get it like next week. So I'm thinking about maybe blowing off my April 20th appointment, getting it next week and getting the wheels in motion. So at least the first one will get taken care of. So I'm a big supporter of vaccines, a big supporter of the science. But there is a balance here to this whole process because some people are hardcore I want my freedoms. Okay. But they don't understand that, you know, if we go too extreme where people are not taking care of themselves, not being vaccinated, they potentially can put other people at risk. That's on one side. But on the other side, people want, you know, absolute compliance with vaccines in order to exercise your freedoms that you really have essentially by default in the first place. That's what our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness really are all about, which I often talk about as sort of the higher purpose of this podcast. We talk about it all the time. I mean, that's how I generally see the world through that lens. You know, it's so nicely articulated in our in our Declaration of Independence's preamble. So here we've got a case where, you know, it, it's this notion of limiting our freedoms Unless you are properly compliant and documented with the government, unless you have your papers. And that's the angle to this. Now, the other interesting side story to this, and I just saw this just a few moments before I started the podcast, Florida Governor uh, Ron DeSantis, I think on Wednesday, I was commenting that he was pushing the state legislature in Florida to ban vaccine passports entirely. And he signed the bill today. And this is a case where, you know, one of our friends on the right, our conservative friends are taking it too far because what they're doing now is saying the vaccine passport idea with this essentially show me your papers idea. They want to ban it entirely. Now, it makes sense for the government to ban it because the government shouldn't be limiting our rights. The government should be protecting them. That's the whole point of securing our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the proper role of government. But private businesses, if they want to, they should be able to do it. They should be able, if they wanted to, is to demand a vaccine passport in order to do business. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that policy, but it does make sense at a scientific level. But more importantly, it makes sense from the perspective of the business, because you know what? Other people have rights, too. So the owner of that business or the manager of that business can set policies for their business. And if they want to screen people that don't have the vaccine, then it should be entirely within their right. Even though I think that's not a really good idea because, you know, it sets up this 
two-tiered almost caste system, almost, you know, if you want to go to the extreme, almost sort of a Jim Crow kind of thing, where there's different groups of people that operate under different rules. It is a dangerous thing. It has to be handled properly. It's a delicate balance between public health and individual rights. And it's not mutually exclusive. It's not one or the other. It's not all or nothing. There is a way to balance the two. I mean, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. So I think this is where, you know, Dr. Leanna Wen, who I generally really like the pieces that she does when she's being interviewed, and she's usually on CNN. But when she wants to make essentially our liberty a carrot on the stick, our liberty as the prize, our liberty as something to qualify for. Well, she's got it backwards. And this is, you know, granted, you know, she's American. I would assume she's an American citizen. I know she was born in China, but does she understand really the essence of what America is supposed to be about? Now, granted, as I know, there's all kinds of hypocrisy about our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, I mean, that was written in 1776. The philosophy is beautiful. The words are on target. The implementation has been flawed. And we can go down the list of all the cases where it's been terribly flawed with slavery and women's rights and on down the line. But little by little, we're getting better and we're implementing it right. But I worry that if public health officials are able to really flex their muscles They do it without respecting our individual rights. And that's where this whole thing is going. So I I saw this piece and it was circulating um, on Twitter and a lot of people are freaking out about it. But, um, you know, peaceful people, peaceful people shouldn't have their rights limited. So if you don't have the vaccine yet, well, that doesn't mean you're infected. So I know now now they're actually allowing people to travel more freely if they have the vaccine. I get that. But you should still be able to travel without a vaccine. Now, granted, if you go someplace, they might test you. And if you're tested positive, you may have to quarantine. That makes sense. But because if you are positive, you could be spreading the virus. But if you are not positive, And you still don't have the vaccine yet, which I think is the category that I'm in. I'm not infected, but I also don't have the virus. I'm I'm sorry, I don't have the vaccine and I'm healthy. Well, my rights shouldn't be limited and neither should yours if you were in the same situation as me. So I don't know. I just get this sense. There's always a certain group of sort of I will call them control freaks that are just trying to, you know, kind of micromanage or or nanny state, you know, the whole of society. And though this notion with COVID vaccine always really irks me, it kind of gets the hair on the back of my neck up because, well, if they if they do this for COVID, then what else are they going to do this for all the other vaccine opportunities? Are we not going to be able to travel unless we've got chicken pox and measles? Are we not going to be able to travel unless we have a flu vaccine? Is it going to come to that? I mean, that's where this is going. And imagine if there's all sorts of other qualifiers that are beyond the scope of health that might be limiting your ability to move, to travel, to essentially exercise your own rights. So that's where a lot of this goes. And um, I saw someone uh, made a quote says, um, here, all of the freedoms you can have if you do what the government says. 
And that's just really immoral. It's just, frankly, kind of evil to say that you can only have freedoms if you do what the government says. Um, you, you, your rights are inalienable. That means they're by default. That means they can't be taken away. You know, you have a right to think, to speak, to act, to move, as long as you don't violate the rights of other people. Um, but sometimes people get it the other way around that you have no rights unless someone grants them to you. But the opposite is true. You have them right away. And it's, it's kind of like the whole voter ID thing. Um, there's parallels to this because with voting, you have a right to vote. If you're registered, you have a right to vote. So you shouldn't have to show me your papers in order to vote. You should just be able to vote. Now, granted, when you register, you got to qualify. And but that's the registration process. The actual voting process, there should be no qualification. Because if you're registered, you're set. And you're just exercising your liberties. You're exercising your rights. Um, so anyways, just I just am antsy about this. I just think that public health officials... And especially some of our friends on the left, our progressive friends, can take this too far. And I worry about it. All right. Well, enough of that. Um, it's Good Friday, my friends. I hope you're having a good Friday. So if you are enjoying this, you can always follow me on social media. Go to John Riley Project on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at John Riley Poway. My website is johnreillyproject.com, and there um, all my episodes are posted. You can get on our mailing list and find all of our social media platforms where you can join us. But I just encourage the discussion, encourage the conversation. And again, this is a live stream, so we welcome your thoughts and comments. Just type them in in Facebook or YouTube. They'll pop up on my screen. I'll read them on the air. We'll have a little bit of a discussion. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about some local topics, and let's talk about Poway. And I live in the city of Poway. Poway is a suburb of San Diego County. It's, we call it North County Inland. We're probably about, I don't know, 10 miles due east of Del Mar. And it's a nice community, generally speaking, a, a very well-run community. And right now there's a ton of development that's going on in various parts of our city, particularly through the main stretch on Poway Road. And people are freaking out freaking out. And I've been following this on Facebook and there's just a constant churn of this. And it's, it's amazing. The, the things that are said and the misconceptions and the misperceptions. And I think it's just really important that to reiterate a different point of view on all of this. Now, What's happening, just to put it in perspective, is there's like a stretch of Poway Road. It's about a mile and a half long, maybe a mile, something like that, where they're putting in a significant number of development. There's the Poway Outpost. There's the Poway Commons. There's another development that's going to be going in. I think they're calling it Fairfield. That's where the bowling alley and the thrift stores used to be. So there's a lot of housing that's going up. And for the longest time, you know, they've been digging underground, right? Um, well, the outpost has had some stuff above the ground for a while, but the Poway Commons project, they were mostly digging, moving dirt, uh, moving earth. It was mostly kind of getting some of the infrastructure set. Well, now the sticks are going up and you're starting to see the frames of these new condos and they go right up to the sidewalk. And this is one of the fears of a lot of people is that there were no setbacks. And this is something I remember during the uh, 
the race for Poway City Council back in 2018, I had most of the candidates who were running were guests on the podcast, which I'm so thankful and proud of. But two of them, John Carson and John Ryan, were on the podcast, and they both specifically talked about setbacks. And that was something that they were very concerned about because they thought if they had housing or commercial property that went right up to the edge of the sidewalk, that that would undermine the whole city and the country feel. It would change the character of Poway. And I'm thinking, okay, I get it. It's different because, you know, Poway has always had, you know, when you pull off in the street, there's a parking lot or some kind of landscaping. And then the building itself is set back from the sidewalk quite a ways. So it kind of has a more open feel. But in a lot of other communities, we're seeing more of this development kind of up close to the sidewalk, especially where it's the it's multi-use, where there's commercial and residential side by side. In fact, if you've ever been up to, gosh, what's the name of the community? And it's a new one. And it's, is it San Alijo Hills? I think it's kind of in between San Marcos and Carlsbad. And it's up on the hill there. Um, and if you go through their downtown stretch, they have no setback. And there is a definite kind of little downtown section on the main road. And the commercial property, you know, it might be a restaurant or a dry cleaner is right there on the sidewalk. And then above it, there might be condos, there might be office space, it's mixed use. And it's right there on the sidewalk. And it's an interesting idea. It's kind of, in many ways, when I see it, it kind of feels a little bit more like a Um, like a Main Street USA kind of a feel in some older Midwestern town. It has that kind of a vibe, but it's different here in Poway. Already in the live stream, Yuri Boland chiming in, the city and the country has been transformed into the city in the construction zone thanks to the concrete cowboy, Mayor Voss. Well, you're right. You're right, Yuri. Um, in fact, uh, if you go to PowayStore.com, there's a shirt that's for sale up there. It says Poway, the city that bulldozed the country. Um, Poway used to be the city in the country. And if you roll the clock back and you, you talk to Mary Shepherdson and some of the great work she does as a historian here in the city of Poway. Yeah, I mean, 100 years ago. 50 years ago, back in the 60s and 70s, this was a country town. You know, this had like a one stoplight town. People had ranches and and lots of horses and cattle and, and you know, um, citrus groves. And it was a country. But, you know, as we got into the 50s and 60s, there's been a lot of development in Poway along Pomerado Road, along Garden Road. There's a lot of development. And then you get into the 80s and there was a ton more development. Um you know, the house I lived in when I first moved to Poway was in a community called Sycamore Creek, way on the very end of Garden Road. Those were built in the late 80s. Um, in the 80s, there was tremendous development. And frankly, Yuri, in my opinion, once you got into the 80s and especially in the 90s, was Poway still the city in the country? I mean, it sounds nice. It feels good. It's a nice way to harken back to our history. But I don't know if it really was the city in the country. Well, then, you know, for the longest time when I lived here, you know, in the 90s and even in the 2000s, people talked about Poway Road and it's run down. There's a lot of old buildings and they need to do something with it. And 
they were generally right. There was a lot of older buildings that were run down that weren't really taken care of. And and then when we had the Great Recession, you know, there, a lot of those buildings really weren't kept up. And they kept saying that they were going to redo Poway Road. And that's when Mayor Voss, basically the concrete cowboys, you call him, Yuri, he basically said, you know, let's quit the, the talk. Let's actually walk the walk. And so since Voss has been mayor and he was elected, gosh, when was it? 2014, I think. Right. So when he was elected, they really started getting with the program and they got that Poway Road specific plan approved. And then, gosh, maybe what was it about two years ago? They finally started breaking ground. I think, yeah, the outpost, I think they might have broke ground on 2019. So, yeah, I mean, to your point, Yuri, the city and the country has been transformed into the city and the construction zone. And Poway Road right now is a construction zone. No doubt about it. And thanks to the concrete cowboy Mayor Voss. Well, a lot of the construction, a lot of the erosion of the city and the country, in my opinion, happened way before Steve Voss. Now, Voss has been accelerating it mostly accelerating it along Poway Road, which generally speaking is mostly a commercial zone, commercial property, but now it's going to have a lot more residential. So the crazy part is, is the sticks are going up, right? You're starting to see the framework of these buildings and now it's feeling real. And so right there at the intersection of Poway Road and Terrascan, right by the library, um, you know, there's a taco shop, El Armando's. <laughs> and I remember we did a podcast about El Armando's taco shop, talking about burritos and capitalism. Um, that was a fun discussion. That was when the price of carne asada beef went up because of COVID. That was an interesting discussion. But anyways, when they, I guess, got the land organized for the Poway Commons, you would have thought that El Armando's probably would have sold out, but they decided to stay. And so what they're doing is they're building literally right around this old taco shop uh, drive through that's been here in Poway, and they're building these condos. I mean, right next to the drive through line. I mean, imagine if your bedroom had a window and right out the window was the drive through speaker and you're going to hear people at one o'clock in the morning on a Friday night, you know, ordering a quesadilla and three roll tacos of guacamole. So it's we're starting to see it. We're starting to feel it. And people are literally freaking out about this. And so um, and Yuri, I mean, I'm, part of this is inspired by you. You shared the article that was in the Times of San Diego. And the headline read, first townhomes go on sale at infill project in historic center of Poway. Now, never mind the fact that where these ho- these homes are being built is not the historic center of Poway. When I first read that, I thought, oh my God, are they building something over you know, near the hamburger factory in the old Poway Park that I was unaware of? Because I think that's the historic center of Poway, right? I think it is. Uh, Mary Shepherdson could correct us, but at any rate, they're 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 building these these townhomes, and they're now starting to go for sale. And I remember, God, what was it? Was it Kalen Frank telling me this, or maybe it was Chris Olbs, or, or maybe I read an article. I can't remember, but they said that yeah, they were going to soon be for sale, and, and not in the not too distant future, they're going to have models that they'll be able to walk through, that you know people can scope it out and there'll be, you know, two or three different models and, and then they can start putting down deposits. So it's all starting to happen. And these condos are selling, you know, starting in the 600 thousands. And that is freaking out people, you know, and this is for, 
you know, a two bedroom, one bath condo that's starting with the number six. Like, you know, I don't know what it's going to be. Six hundred and twenty nine thousand, six hundred and forty nine thousand. It'll be something like that. It's a hell of a lot of money. And that's also kind of freaking people out. Like we, we need to have affordable housing. This isn't affordable. Now, is part of this is just the nature of the market, right? I mean, what's the median home value now in San Diego? If you look at monthly sales, I think it's now over $700,000. Yuri Bolin on the live stream says, where is the parking going to be in the El Armando's lot? Well, El Armando's has its own parking lot, right? It's right there next to the taco shop. I don't think they're building there. So maybe your question, Yuri, is, is where is the parking going to be for those condos? Um, I don't know the answer to that. I'm certain they must have some kind of a parking lot. I'm certain people would say it's not enough parking spaces, and that's going to probably have overflow parking on the street, which is going to cause other people to be upset. Parking, of course, is always an issue. But it's possible that this part of Poway might be more walkable than probably any part of Poway has ever been where people could literally walk from their condo to the grocery store, to the dry cleaner and do whatever they need to do. That may be realistic for the first time in our city's history. And with people working from home now because of the pandemic, and I think people are now in the habit of working from home, who knows? We may get to a point where people aren't even going to have cars. And by the way, that's one of the things that I'm a real supporter of this whole idea of driverless electric vehicles. I've talked about that a lot where we can get to the point where we have autonomous cars and we can summon a car at any time we want and they'll show up at our house within five to 10 minutes and take us where we want to go. Imagine that we won't even need cars. We won't even need parking in a lot of cases. I think we're going to get to that actually, Yuri. I think that's the evolution of all of this. But right now people have cars. Right now, is there enough parking? That's obviously a debatable point. I know that was a, a common objection for the Fairfield project. Is there enough parking? And of course, the developers want the least amount of parking because they want to develop the maximum number of units that they can sell. And then, of course, people in the community want more parking so there's no overflow into the neighborhoods. So that's a fair point. But people are upset that these these condos are going to be selling for in the 600,000s. Now, on one level, you think that's a lot of money and it is a lot of money. But on the other hand, the median home value in Poway is way higher than that. Uh, Poway is a very attractive place to live. I mean, Poway has a great school district. And even though these are condos, not single family homes that are on a, a decent plot of land, they're still, I mean, 600000 for a brand spanking new condo, considering the marketplace, and especially now with real estate prices that are going sky high, within that context, 600000 doesn't sound like a lot of money. I know in real dollars, that's a ton. But within the context of the marketplace, it's really not that much. Now, right now, I think we're in a real estate bubble. I think at some point, something's going to happen because the whole economy is like a house of cards. They're just pumping cash into the economy. They're cranking out as much money as they can. The Federal Reserve cranking out money in, in out of thin air, keeping interest rates artificially low. That's, frankly, the bubble we're in. And if you look back in time, all the bubbles are usually a function of the work of the Federal Reserve. We saw that in 2008 during the Great Recession. People like to blame that on deregulation. But really, the problem there was the interest rates were too darn low. 
when the market was hot, 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 and the demand for money was extreme, interest rates were artificially low. And that just encouraged more borrowing. We're in a situation like that now. But now what they're deciding to do is to quell it. They're just throwing more gas on the fire. They're just printing more money. So the housing prices are really expensive. And people are saying, who's going to move into these places? My, you know, there's apparently there's senior housing there at the lot that's, you know, the, the lot that's been empty for a long time at Terrascan and Poway Road. I think that's the northwest corner, if I recall. And that site is going to have some so-called affordable housing. And I think these will be rental units. They'll be apartments rather than condos. And they're going to have a rental price. Yeah, don't quote me on this. It's like, is it between like $800 and $1,500 a month? Something like that. But it's a very limited number. And they're going to be for seniors and veterans. But really, in the whole scheme of things, it's a tiny fraction of the overall development. There probably are just enough of them there, just so the city council and the developer can say, look, we have affordable housing and they can point to it. But ultimately it's minuscule in the whole scheme of things. So people are upset. What about affordable housing? What are you going to do? And I made a comment on Facebook that I think, I think is a really important point that I think a lot of people don't really understand. And I, I want to break this down. So I said, as people move up into these brand new condos, well, that's going to open up inventory of less expensive places elsewhere, and it's going to ease the, the, the pressure on the market because who's going to move into these condos? Now, is it going to be a elderly grandparent that only has Social Security as their only income source? Well, no, that's not going to happen. Is it going to be a family of four living on the salary of a single parent that is earning $35,000 a year? No, <laughs> that's not who's going to move into these places. But there's going to be places that are going to be people uh, that are living in other parts of the county that maybe have the means, have the income, maybe have some savings that want to move up and want to move into Poway, a Poway, a city that's desirable, a city with a good school district. Well, they're going to be moving out of somewhere else. They're going to be moving out of Escondido. They're going to be moving out of Chula Vista. They're going to be moving out of El Cajon and they're going to be moving into Poway. And what that does is when people move out of their old place, then the old place becomes available. And if they're moving up to come into these newer brand spanking new condos in Poway, well, they'll be moving up, which means the place they're leaving will be less expensive, will be relatively more affordable. So if this condo is, let's just say it's 600 something thousand and they're they're selling a $400,000 house or a $400,000 condo, you might think, well, that's still not even affordable for someone to move into that. But it has a cascading effect. I mean, the, the third tier down, someone that's renting might move in to that $400,000 condo. And then that rental unit opens up and on down the line, it creates more affordable housing down the line. So it has a cascading effect. Now, does that mean that affordable housing is going to be in Poway? This, this cascading effect is going to open up inventory in Poway? It might. There might be some. But, you know, the people that are moving into these properties are moving out of somewhere else. And 
by nature of creating more housing units, by creating more inventory, that's also going to reduce the pressure on the overall housing market. Because right now you talk to any realtor in town, they, you get one listing, there are multiple bids. It's over, all the bids are typically over the asking price. It's a bidding war and the place is sold in a matter of a few weeks because the market is so hot because it's econ 101. The supply is so limited and the demand is so great that of course prices are going to go up. But if they start building more inventory, that's going to have an easing effect on prices. And of course, when they build brand spanking new places, those are Jeff generally going to be for more money because they're brand new. And then the affordable housing is going to be the older housing that people are moving out of. Now, in some cases, some of the affordable housing will be brand spanking new. And in Poway, there's a number of different communities where that already exists. You know, the, the community that's on Community Road right behind the movie theater. There's a community off of Midland Road, kind of a stone's throw from the hamburger factory and the old Poway Railroad. And there's other places in Poway that has affordable housing. And what I mean by that is government subsidized housing. That exists already in Poway. But we also have to think about we can create more affordable market rate housing it may not be in Poway because Poway is a desirable place to live, but it might be in other places in the county. And when people move into Poway, they're moving out of somewhere else, and that becomes more affordable for other people. Pete Neald on the live stream chiming in. Yes, on the range, that's an approximate. And as a reminder, Social Security average is $1,300 a month. Yeah, right. Exactly. So grandma and grandpa can live in their apartment and live and breathe owing $200 a month or at best $500 a month to eat. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. If, if you, again, the whole notion of retirement, um, you know, my wife and I were planning for retirement. We've been saving for a long time. Uh, my mother is retired and I kind of have an understanding of her finances as well. If, if you live exclusively on social security, it's extraordinarily difficult especially here in San Diego County to live just on your social security check. But there's a lot of people that that's their only source of income. You can't move in to a $600,000 a month unit at that price. And even if you get $1,300 a month in social security, and let's pretend that the rent on this affordable housing unit is 800, 900 bucks a month. Well, that only leaves $400 a month left over. And that's got to cover utilities and food and all of your other basic expenses, that's almost impossible too. Now, again, the whole idea, I mean, this is almost like a debate on social security. Um, social security is not something you can really live on by on its own. You know, maybe there was a time where you could, but the economy has, has, you know, there's been inflation in the economy and Social Security hasn't necessarily kept up. But a lot of the reason is because Social Security is underwater. Social Security is giving out more money than they bring in every year. Social Security is going to be able it's not going to be able to pay its promises starting around 2033. Social Security is, in my opinion, needs to be reformed. 
Um, but under its current premise, yeah, $1,300 a month may very well be an average amount. And yeah, for $1,300 a month, you have extremely limited choices, extremely limited. Honestly, it's, it's hard to live in San Diego County on only $1,300 a month. Hopefully, if you're on Social Security and you have a grandma and a grandpa, hopefully both of them have a Social Security check. Um, you know, my mother's retired. She has Social Security, but she has two pensions from when she worked for um, the county up, up in the Bay Area. And then she also worked uh, and has a Teamsters pension. So those two combined with Social Security gives her enough to kind of get by. But if, if she only has Social Security alone, I don't know how she'd survive. It would be difficult. I mean, you couldn't live here in San Diego. You'd have to live somewhere else where housing is extraordinarily cheap. Or family members are going to have to buy property and buy a place. Yuri Bolin on the live stream chiming in, when the developers have to pay more than the $500 in lieu fees, then there might be real affordable housing. Well, developers want to make as much money as they can, right? And it's their property. The developer is buying the property from whomever the property owner is. Why shouldn't they be able to get as much as they can? It's just like when you are out selling your services when you're working in a job, you're going to try to get the highest wage you can. If you're, if you own a home and you're going to sell your home, you're going to try to get the highest price you can. So I don't fault developers for getting the most that they want. But what happens is, is that when the government sets up these situations where you have to provide affordable housing, or you can essentially buy out which I think what you're referring to, um, Yuri, you can buy out by spending $500 per unit, and then it relieves you of the obligation to have affordable housing. Well, that ends up, what that ends up doing is it, it creates a situation where it's going to limit the number of housing units. So if we're able to come up with a plan to encourage more development of housing, we're going to have more and more inventory and the brand spanking new places are generally going to be sold to people that have average to above average levels of income and wealth because it's brand spanking new, even in a condo, even an apartment, if it's brand spanking new, you're going to generally find higher income people that are going to move into those places. But if we develop enough higher, like brand spanking new places, and we do enough quantity because we're way behind the curve on quantity. That's why we have a housing crisis in California. If we do that, it's going to free up all the older property that can be used, that can be made more affordable on a market basis. And really, that's the way to do it. Because if you twist the arm of developers to build brand spanking new property and make it affordable, especially when they have to pay huge impact fees, I, I'm not sure what the amount is, but I know it's tens of thousands of dollars per unit. You know, in some cases I've seen where it's over a hundred thousand dollars a unit in impact fees. And what, what I mean is, you know, paying for infrastructure and schools and sewer and, and permitting that goes to the city, which is like another revenue source to the city. Well, when you, have such high demands for, for permitting and impact fees and you limit the price that they can be sold for, well, that just becomes a disincentive for the developer. And of course, they're going to buy out 
and spend five hundred dollars a unit. People think it should. They people think it's too low. I mean, I I think there shouldn't be a buyout at all. We should be encouraging developers to build as much as they can. Because the more they build, the more inventory it frees up on the low end that becomes more affordable for other people to move into. Um, but by trying to create more affordable housing out of brand spanking new places, like the math doesn't work. And then you end up having to twist the arms of the developers. And it's frankly, in many ways, violates their own property rights. So. I know I, I tend to have a very different approach to this, a very free market approach to this, that I think we can have more affordable housing if we just follow Econ 101, increase supply to, to meet demand, maybe even increase supply to exceed demand. And then you'll really start to see prices go down because then buyers and renters will have lots of choices. It'll be a more competitive market and they won't be able to ask these really high prices and you won't get this crazy dynamic of four or five people bidding, you know, multiple tens of thousands over the asking price in a bidding war. If there's more inventory, we won't have that. So I'm always a believer. We need to create as much housing as possible. So when we see a lot of resistance to development, I get it. I, it's the whole NIMBY thing, not in my backyard. You know, people didn't want development at the farm here at, at Stone Ridge Country Club, which is only about a mile from my house. Um, if you continue to resist development, well, if you're a homeowner, that plays to your advantage, right? It means there's going to be less competition for homes in your area. That, I mean, if you're looking at it from that perspective, NIMBYism is good for your home value. But NIMBYism is also harmful to first-time buyers. NIMBYism is, it distorts the market. It makes housing expensive, not just for real estate, for buying and selling, but also for renters. So um, moving on down the line here. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that we need to build more. And yeah, uh, Pete Neal on the, on the live stream, you even said to me on, on Facebook, you said, you know, if they're going to, it's going to open up housing elsewhere. Well, yeah, that's what I said. You know, people are going to, as they buy these condos, as they rent these apartments on Poway Road, it's going to free up inventory elsewhere. And you ask me, where is elsewhere? Well, it could be anywhere. Um, wherever the people are moving out of and coming to Poway, wherever they're leaving, that place becomes available. That place becomes open. That place becomes for sale or for rent. And if we're assuming that people are moving up, especially we imagine people that are going to be buying a brand spanking new place, almost always are going to be moving up. And there might be some exceptions of moving down. But for the most part, I would think they're moving up. That means lower, lower cost, less expensive real estate and rental units will become available on the market. So, yeah, so it's just interesting. Um. You know, and there's been also a lot of reaction to this because people are just, you know, change is hard. People are resistant to change, but change is inevitable. Some people might say, well, it's easy for you. You don't live near Poway Road, so what do you care? You know what? Down my street, I live in a pretty nice neighborhood. Down my street, they just built three brand new homes. Did I complain? Did I put up a fuss? No, because they're property. They should be able to do what they want on their property. It's not my business. So 
Well, that's the thing that I, I really think is important to understand is that other people have rights too. Now, of course, we would all love to freeze time, to essentially hit the pause button and keep things the way they are now, or maybe the way they used to be. You know, you see that on, on some of the Facebook groups here in Poway. Oh, I'd love it if Poway is the way it used to be in 1984 when I grew up here. Poway was a lot different then. And yeah, it was a lot different then. I wish it could be like that again. Well, yeah, there's a certain charm to the old Poway, the old legit city in the country. I get that. But San Diego was a lot smaller. I, I ran the numbers. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was like San Diego in the 1970s might have had like a million and a half people, if I recall. And now it's three point something million. So the, this, this area has more than doubled, almost tripled in size since the 1970s. Well, where are these people going to live? Obviously, you need to build housing, and that's what's happened. And they've built more housing, and that's why we have Scripps Ranch, and that's why we have Mira Mesa. Mira Mesa, of course, kind of being the 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 uh, the scare tactic. People are like I don't want Poway to turn into Mira Mesa. I understand that. Mira Mesa is very dense living. Mira Mesa has traffic. But then I remember in the 1980s when I was a student at UC San Diego, Mira, Mira Mesa was like this brand spanking new development. And you had to drive like on these two lane roads in the middle of nowhere, it seemed, to get to Mira Mesa. Mira Mesa was like an isolated island of brand new housing in the 1980s. But then, yeah, the, the San Diego has been growing and they've been filling in all the space around it. And that's why we've got Sorrento Mesa, Sorrento Valley in between. And that's why Miramar Road has been built up more. And that's why Scripps Ranch has been built up more. And that's why Rancho Penasquitos has been built up more. And that encroachment is working its way to Poway and Poway's being built up more because there's more people that live here. Pete Neald on the live stream chiming in. My solution is that we have a major earthquake. <laughs> then the Easterners won't move here out of fear, leaving their places more affordable for our kids to move to. <laughs> you know, um, people always say there's going to be a big one, right? We're going to get a big earthquake at some point. But it seems like you ever notice that San Diego never really seems to have that big of an earthquake. It always seems to be mostly in San Francisco or in L.A., they talk about the Rose Canyon Fault, which kind of runs sort of from, I guess, would you say from like Old Town through Pacific Beach and along Marina Boulevard and then up the canyon towards La Jolla. And I guess that's a fault line. And I guess that could that could be the source of a big earthquake here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, People want to live in San Diego, man. I mean, this is a great place to live. And of all the places in San Diego County to live, Poway is one of the best places to live in one of the most desirable communities in the entire United States. So, of course, there's huge demand to live here. That's why prices are so high. Yeah, I like it here. It's a good city. 
I mean, you know, there's some flaws. There's there's no utopia. There there are warts. I mean, we can point those out. Or we can make a list. But generally, it's a pretty good place to live. It's no wonder people want to move here. And that's why prices are so crazy. That's why these real estate agents they put the thing up for sale and they get multiple offers instantly. And boom, boom, they're gone. That's why realtors are telling buyers, you know, you better get your ducks in a row, get your mortgage approved and have all your papers in hand. So the minute that property goes up for sale, you can pounce and make an offer and be ready to go. That's how hot the market is. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts right now, but it is the reality. So I'm sure these guys on Poway Road at the Poway Commons they're probably trying to build as fast as they can, trying to capitalize on this bubble before the whole thing bursts. I'm sure Kevin McNamara is probably thinking the same thing at the farm in Poway. <laughs> Pete kneeled on the Lime Street. Ta-da, I melted John's mind. Yeah, you did. <laughs> the earthquake. Wow. What's the worst earthquake you've ever experienced? I remember... I was here in San Diego and I was at my office at night and I remember my wife was still, you know, in college working on her, her, her doctorate and she was having to write a term paper for a class. And this is before we had personal computers. And so she came to my office and I was helping her get that set up. And so she can create her paper and we had a television on and we were watching the World Series. It was the Giants and the A's, right? And I'm a big baseball fan. And that's when the earthquake hit, the 1989 earthquake. And so uh, I'm, you know, I didn't obviously didn't feel that. I remember feeling the earthquake that happened in Northridge. That was like in 93, I think, maybe 94. Uh, probably 94 is when that one happened. I remember feeling that one. Um, but thank God, you know, knock on wood. We haven't felt any earthquakes here in San Diego. Nothing significant. We'll get them every once in a while, a little jostling, like a little four point something, maybe a five point something. But yeah, <laughs> Pete, yeah, you melted my brain. Hey, by the way, folks, um, Pete and I are, are, are going on a trip. Uh, Pete's going to be racing his Corvette in Pahrump, Nevada at the Spring Mountain Raceway. And he goes, John, you want to come out with me? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be next month. So I'll do something with the podcast or maybe on my Facebook page. I'll do something and we'll share some of that story of Pete racing Calypso on this racetrack. It's, I remember I checked it out when I was in Pahrump last October because I went there on one of my little COVID sabbaticals. And it's like a Malibu, Malibu Grand Prix. You remember that racetrack we used to go to when we were younger? It's like that, but it's like for the big boy cars, for the legit racing cars. It's that flat track and it's got these tight turns and it's all timed. And Pete's going to be racing his Calypso on that. That's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to watching that one. Um, Pete kneeled on the live stream chiming in. Oh, you were in Tokyo. I was four floors down eating dinner. We all excited, exited rapidly. It stopped halfway up four flights of stairs. We went back. One of my friends had stayed. I asked him why he stayed. He said he would rather die running upstairs um, or, you know, he, he, he said, would you rather die running upstairs or eating good food? That's a good answer. I used to do business in Japan back in the early 90s. And I'm trying to remember if, if when I was in a, I think I've experienced an earthquake when I was there, but this was like 30 years ago. My mind is a little fuzzy, but yeah, they get a lot more in Tokyo. 
uh, Matthew Brannigan said in 2010 was a memorable one. That was the one on Easter Sunday. I remember that one. I was, uh, how should I say, uh, taking care of business when that one hit. And taking care of business in a small room, if you know what I mean. Uh, and that one hit. And I was like, whoa, I really, I really felt that one. But yeah, I remember it was Easter Sunday. That was something. And we felt that one here in San Diego. But thank God we haven't had a huge one. Um, Yuri Bolin on the live stream chiming in. Moderate growth is different than overdevelopment. And everything on Poway Road is not protected by Prop FF. And that's why the people are upset. 20 people decided Poway Road, over 50,000 residents and 32,000 registered voters. Okay. Yuri, I love you. I, Yuri, I really like you personally. We disagree on this respectfully. So, yeah, moderate growth is different than overdevelopment. I understand. But we are not experiencing overdevelopment. There is not enough housing. We have a housing crisis. We have underdevelopment. Now, speaking broadly, state of California, but even in Poway, I mean, there hasn't been a whole lot of development in Poway in the last, I don't know, five to 10 years. So I don't think we have overdevelopment. Now, it seems like a lot because they're putting in a lot, but they've been talking about this Poway Road transformation for the longest time. They're finally doing it. Now, Poway Road is not protected by Prop FF. You're right. It's not. And Again, this is this is beyond my scope of knowledge, but I know Prop FF was the 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 wise and benevolent founders of Poway pushed forward this bill that was voted on by the voters. And I think in 1988, eight years after the city was incorporated and they said for a property to be rezoned, it would need the approval of voters. If it were, let's say, rezoned from open space recreational to to residential housing, like what they've done at the Stone Ridge Club, which the voters did approve and transform that to residential property zoning. Now, I don't know why Poway Prop FF doesn't apply to the entire city. Maybe they made an exception on Poway Road because it's a commercial, it's commercial property and they expected that it was going to be reformed. I don't know. I don't know the circumstances uh, around that, but that's what they're doing. They're 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 making these decisions on on Poway Road, and twenty people decided it. Really, so the really, really, who decided? Well, the property owners themselves decided. They sold their property to developers. And the developers are deciding because they're building on the property. The city council certainly decided by putting together and approving the Poway Road specific plan, which kind of provided sort of an outline, a framework. You know, they could have uh, freedom within the framework, but they provided a framework for this process to go forward. Now, the Poway Road specific plan committee, did they have input? Yeah, they did. But there was only a recommendation City Council is going to do whatever they wanted in the first place. Now, there are a lot of other committees of people that participate in City Council affairs, and I've been on them. I, I was on the Budget Review Committee like, gosh, 15 years ago. And then I was on Parks and Rec just a couple of years ago. But did we decide? 
I mean, speaking for Parks and Rec Committee, we didn't decide on anything. We offered our opinions. We reviewed projects as they came forward, reviewed ideas, but we just provided sort of a, you know, kind of transparency. You know, we were, we were examples of transparency. We were input from the community through a pro, a certain channel. We didn't really decide, but the city council decided, but really, really the property owners are the ones that decided. So, should 50,000 residents or 32,000 registered voters be able to decide if my neighbor up the street should be able to build a home on his own property? I don't think so, in my opinion. In my opinion, if you own the property, you should be able to build on it because it's your property. That's the whole idea of property rights. So these zoning laws that prevent construction or require these votes on a local basis, this is the reason why we have a housing crisis in California. This is the reason why housing is so damn expensive because all these little communities have their own little ordinances and their own versions of prop FF that prevent development, that prevent not even, not overdevelopment, not even normal development. They, they won't even allow underdevelopment. That's why if it's come, it's finally gotten to the point where the Democrats in Sacramento realize that that's been the problem. It's these local ordinances that have been restricting development. And so that's why Newsom and the other Democrats in Sacramento, it's amazing. They're, they're shifting more towards becoming closer to free market and allowing more development because they know that as long as there's limited supply, housing prices are going to keep going up. And then, that's going to create a whole set of problems for people on the bottom, like a person that only has a $1,300 social security check as their only form of income. They're the ones that are just going to get completely screwed over by this process. That's why we need more housing, more inventory. Um, and, you know, I, I get it. People don't want to have more construction. There's people that live up off a terrorist scam behind that Taco Bell, and they don't like looking out their window and seeing all this construction. I get it. But you know what? The people that own that property, they have rights too. Now, other people are upset because it's blocking the view. We can't see the hills of Poway because these, these three-story, four-story buildings are going up and it's, there's no setback. It's blocking the view. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> it definitely is. But you don't have a right to the view. But the property owner has a right to their land. The property owner has a right to build on their land. It's theirs. That's what property rights are about. So this whole idea is the other guy has rights too. Not just you. This is the whole thing I get on case of our conservative friends on the right, the Trump friends, is they're all about freedom. You know, this is America. We got freedom. We got rights. But a lot of times they only think about freedom for themselves. They forget about freedom for someone else. They want to limit the freedom of other people. That's why they want to build walls. They want to limit the freedom and rights of other people. They want to revoke visas. They want to set up trade wars. They want to do all kinds of crazy things. President Trump wants to have the police throw gas into public protesters that are demonstrating their First Amendment rights so he can cross the street with a Bible and hold it up in front and get a photo op at a church across the street from the White House. So... Other people have rights, too. Other people have liberties, too, including the people that bought the property where the Poway Commons is. 
And I know we'd love to freeze time and not have that development and have it the way it used to be. But you know what? They have the right to build there. It's their land. And again, I I get why people don't like it. It's change. They they just have they struggle with change. But it's their property. You don't have the right to control others. So anyways, I'm generally supportive of what's happening on Poway Road. I am. I mean, I think the whole area could use an upgrade. And I think that I think I'm hopeful that the end result is going to actually be a lot better than it used to be. Now, there's going to be more people. There's potentially more traffic. But if they are smart and they synchronize the traffic lights with the same technology that McNamara is going to be doing up here at the farm in Poway, I think there's a good chance the traffic might actually even be better. Because really, when people are living in these apartments, they all they don't all leave and come home at the exact same time. It's not like you're going to have instantly a thousand cars on the road. It's just going to be, you know, it'll trickle in and out throughout the day, especially with people who are living at home and working from home. A lot of people won't even be driving in the first place. So there's going to be more traffic, but I think it's manageable, especially if they manage the, the street lights and the traffic flow properly. Um, I, I'm supportive of it because I think we have a housing crisis. We need more units. And for me as a property owner, that that negatively impacts me. If I were being completely selfish about this, I would say don't, no more building at all because then my property prices go up. But I respect that other people have rights, too. So I, I, I'm supportive of it from that perspective of letting them build. And then further, you know, I, I think it's going to be an upgrade to the whole the whole Poway Road area. So, again, I, I know that people don't agree with me. I know that people um, don't want the development there. I understand that. Um, some people want development, but not so much. You know, maybe to Yuri's point, they don't want it overdeveloped. I know Chris Olp said, look, can we do one project and get it done before we start the next, just so we can see how it goes? I understand that. But, you know, the other guy has rights, too. Um, the people that own that property where the bowling alley and the thrift stores are, I mean, those people have rights to their property, too. And I know people love the bowling alley. And I know people love the thrift stores. And it is sad that they're gone but it's their property and they should be able to build on it if they want, as long as they're not breaking the law. So yeah. Okay. Hammering that horse. <laughs> I, I just want to make a couple of comments now about Padres opening day. Cause I just, I was so thrilled about yesterday, but again, I encourage you to continue the conversation on social media. You can go to my Facebook page, John Riley project. You can go to my Twitter account, John Riley Poway. Even on the YouTube, you can you know respond and comment there. I love the discussion. I do this podcast because I enjoy the conversation. I enjoy the listening to you, getting your input and thoughts, having a discussion. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we have empathy and get a better understanding of why other people think the way they do. Now, granted here, I'm probably a little more aggressively sharing with you what I think. Sometimes I'm less aggressive, but this is something I feel passionately about. I'm a huge supporter of free markets and property rights. Um, and that's why I'm sympathetic to allowing the builders to build. But I also understand that people don't like it. But yeah, follow me on social media. We can keep, keep the conversation going. Let's talk about Padres opening day. So we'll end on a high note. So um, 
Padres opening day was yesterday. I'm just so happy. And baseball is back. And, and we have baseball in the spring because last year they didn't start till like late July and they only played 60 games. So we got a chance for 162. Now, granted, Already, there's some games that have been canceled for COVID. I think the Washington Nationals, New York Mets series, they had they they had to postpone some games. So hopefully, we don't have too much of that. You know, we're on the downside with COVID. There's less people with new cases. More people are vaccinated. So hopefully, we're on the downslope there. And you know, I know that Petco Park was open. They had about twenty percent capacity, so they had eight to ten thousand there, roughly. And if we get down to the next tier down, which I think is the orange tier or the red tier, then they're going to open up to 33% capacity. And, 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 and by the way, notice how the prices for the tickets at Padres opening day, some of them are well over $1,000. Again, supply demand, just like housing. There was a limited supply. Only 20% of the seats were able to be occupied. And there was huge demand, so prices went up. Just like with housing, <laughs> um, Yuri Bolin on the live stream baseball question. Do you think there will be a full capacity by the all-star break? I don't know. I mean, I hope so. Um, of course the all-star break is in early July. Um, now David Leland was on the podcast and he says he doesn't think there's going to be full capacity until 2022. He goes, maybe by the playoffs, but we'd have to come down multiple tiers and California is probably the most restrictive state um, when it comes to COVID pandemic uh, management. So I don't know. I'm hopeful. Now the other kind of interesting tangent with the all-star game, it's supposed to be in Atlanta and major league baseball just announced that they're moving the all-star game out of Atlanta as a reaction to the recent changes in voting rights by the Republicans in Georgia. This is crazy. This is interesting. I think this is great. I think what the Republicans did in Georgia was terrible, um, you know, horrible in, you know, limiting of, of people's individual rights. We have the right to vote and they're making voting harder. Um, so I'm happy that Major League Baseball took a stand and they're moving the all-star game out of Atlanta. They haven't said where it's going. And I think the Major League Baseball draft was supposed to be in Atlanta this year as well. They're moving that. Come on back to San Diego, friends. Uh, they wouldn't move to San Diego, of course, because we have a limit on the number of people. They'll probably move to like, you know, Arlington, where the Texas Rangers are, and they can have 100% capacity. That's probably what they're going to do. Uh, Yuri says, will it be 162 games? I'm hopeful. Um, I'm a glass half full guy. I hope it is. Um, I just, I just love baseball. It's my, by far my favorite sport. And, I love having the game on, I'm, you know, the game's tonight at seven. I'm looking forward to it. Blake Snell's pitching. Um, I just, I just like, you know, people get on baseball's case. It's, it's too slow. I, I, the fact that baseball is slow is what makes it beautiful. It has a pace to it and it's comfortable and it's relaxing. And there's so many nuances to the game that you can follow pitch by pitch. And baseball is a game that you can have a conversation with a friend and enjoy a cold one with a friend. And it's not as fast paced, intense moving as other sports. And if you want fast paced sports, which I love basketball, I love soccer. Football isn't really that fast paced because there's so much time in between plays. It's like a minute or 45 minute, 45 seconds in between plays. And the play itself lasts for five or six seconds. Not as much action in football as people think. But baseball works at its own pace. And I like that. Pete Neal on the live stream says, but mixing sports with government is just wrong. 
<laughs> well, mixing sports with government is right when it comes to the John Riley Project, because I love talking about both topics. But you know what? Sports and politics, are a lot of similarities. You know, there's teams and there's battles between teams. There's the good guys and the bad guys. Right. And um, and people are tribal in nature. They're tribal when it comes to their support of their of their team. They're tribal a lot of times with their political party or with their cause, whatever their hot button cause is. Um, there are winners and losers. There are battles. There are competitions. There's a lot of com- there's a lot of similarities between sports and politics. There are heroes and villains in both sports and politics. So they're fun to blend. I know I'm probably one of the weird ones that like both. I know when I talk sports, I probably alienate the people that want to just talk about government or culture. But then when I talk government or culture, I'm probably alienating the people that want to talk sports. So you can never win. doesn't matter. But I'm just so happy the Padres won and it was a roller coaster game. And I remember Eric Hosmer hit the home run to right field to just barely clear the wall. And my son was sitting next to me and Will Myers came up and I was saying, watch what happens. We're going to get back to back jacks. And sure enough, man, Will Myers hit it over the left field fence. Uh, That was great. And the other great story is that Will Myers is now wearing number five. He used to be number four and for the longest time. And then Blake Snell comes to the Padres. Blake Snell is the former wearer of number four when he was with Tampa. He came to the Padres and was trying to get number four from Will Myers. And Will Myers just just said, no. And so um, Snell had to compromise. He took number 24 reluctantly. And then Will Myers was joking. Oh, he's going to win a lot of Cy Young's wearing 24. And, the Padres started selling Blake Snell jerseys, number 24, in the gift shop. And then it's opening day, and Myers shows up wearing number five. And you're like, what the hell happened? And so apparently he worked a deal with Snell. I'm Hopefully Myers was able to leverage it. You know, he didn't give him four right away. He kind of let him, you know, kind of hang on the end of, a, of the line there throughout spring training. But he probably got a nice little package from Snell for it, which is good for you, Will Myers. And good for you, Will Myers, being a team guy, right? So you let Snell have four. You take a number five. I think that was well played by him. He had a great game. And now the Padre gift stop is, is now saying, well, if you bought a Snell jersey, number 24, you can return it and we'll give you a free exchange to get the number four jersey. <laughs> it's funny how the whole thing works. Um, so anyways, I was just really happy about that. And then, yeah, Cronenworth had a great game. Um, he had that triple in the seventh inning, which just missed a home run. Uh, Caratini did really well. And then how about Tucapita Marcano made his major league debut and drew a walk and scored a run. So good for him. Um, Tommy Pham, he hit the ball hard. He, I think he had two that went to the, to the warning track and he had a base hit. He's batting leadoff, and I love seeing him do well. I just like I just like him. He's a he's a great player to root for because he, you know, he came from a broken family, uh, a family that wasn't very wealthy. And in baseball, if you want to play at a high level, you got to play travel ball, and that costs money. And when he was being raised in Las Vegas, he kind of, you know, was in kind of a rougher part of town and he was taken under the wing by some other travel ball families that took him to a lot of these games because his family wasn't able to do it. And he rose up and, um, and he proudly represents Las Vegas. Uh, so good for him. So Tommy Pham is a, is a good story, a good guy to root for. And 
you know, he, he's got a colorful past. I mean, he got, gosh, he got stabbed out in front of a strip club uh, during the off season, which is another crazy part of his story, but he's still a great guy to root for. And um, he had, a, you know, I think he's going to have a good season, a much better than last year. And then the other part of the game that was great was, um, you know, you Darvish is pitching. He's definitely the number one starter. And he threw a ton of pitches, uh, especially in the first two few innings, because the umpire was so horrible. And the, so many balls were in the zone, he called them a ball. And balls that are outside the zone, he called them a strike. The, ump, the home plate umpire was terrible last, yesterday. And I'm sure that led to part of the reason why Darvish pitched a lot of pitches. And so he gets into the fifth inning, and, you know, Tingler wants him to get through five. And there's, what, one down in the fifth. And Tingler comes out to potentially remove him from the game, but he doesn't. And he checks in with Darvish and gives him a boost and an attaboy and pumps him up. And Darvish said afterwards that he felt really good about that. He felt respected and the manager was with him. And that was a good thing. It was good for team chemistry. Now, granted, the whole thing backfired because he gave up a home run. Um, But. You know, that's a that's a cool part of the story. And I think that's what makes Jace Tingler a really special manager. That was a neat part of the story. Um, and then, um, yeah, you know, Tim Hill threw, you know, he, he threw poorly. Uh, but then he, the two home runs he gave up were both unearned because they never should have happened in the first place because of Tatis's throwing error. So um, just a lot of interesting things, you know, and the bullpen after Hill was great. I mean, what was it? Pagan and Pomeranz and Melanson, they were lights out. The other interesting story that I saw just before I started this podcast episode was that Luis Campusano has been let off by the feds. Now, Luis Campusano is the young catcher, the, the prospect, and he's actually going to start tonight at seven. He'll be catching for Blake Snell. He's like 22 years old and he, he's a young guy with dreadlocks and he's a great hitter and he's still kind of learning as a catcher. He got busted talking about Georgia with voting rights. He got busted in the state of Georgia with, I know, was it 73 grams of marijuana? And I don't even know. Is that a lot? I'm not even sure. I, I was told that if you have that much on you as possession in California, it's only a misdemeanor and a $500 fine. But in Georgia, it's a felony. And he was potentially going to have to go to jail um, or pay a gigantic fine. But, you know, his career could have been in jeopardy. Well, they said that they let him off. And the 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 reason was, is that there was some issue related to probable cause that there was no reason for him to be pulled over in the first place. So maybe was it, you know, so-called driving while black was a racial profiling is the reason he got pulled over. I don't know, but I love from a, from a baseball perspective, I love that they're letting him off. That's great. I'd like to see this young man have a good career from a marijuana legalization perspective. I like the fact that he got let off because even if you have, I don't know, 73 grams of marijuana, I mean, here's a baseball. Is that, is that the amount of marijuana of 73 grams? I have no idea. But if you're carrying that around, that it's a plant. <laughs> it's a plant. It's like, it's natural. It, it's frankly medicinal. And it's way safer than carrying a, a case of beer. It's safer than that. So it shouldn't be a, a penalty in the first place. But the other part of the story that's great is that they're letting him off because there was an issue with probable cause, which means that maybe the police officers violated the fourth amendment, that there was an illegal search and seizure because there was no probable cause. So I'm thinking right on, man, that's great. 
So I'm so happy on those three levels for him as an athlete and for the Padres, but also from a marijuana perspective and a civil liberties perspective, they're letting him off. And that's good. Now, the other part of this is, is, you know, David Leland was on the podcast on Monday. We did the whole preview and I saw his his postgame report on his YouTube channel, San Diego Sport Insight. He made a really good point. He said Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado yesterday were a combined one for 10. But still, the Padres scored eight runs. I think that's great. So Pete Neal says 73 grams is equal to one third the weight of your phone. Really? Really? One third of the weight of this phone is 73 grams? That's that's nothing. That's like that's like a pack of cigarettes, right? I mean, that's not that heavy. Um, how could it be? Now, granted, I have a big ass phone. This is like a, a Samsung Note 8, which is huge. Um, most people's phones are like two thirds this size. Um, yeah, that's just nuts that he got busted for that. But I'm happy he got off. So, oh, and the other comment is worthy of mentioning is they. I said they moved the, they're moving the all-star game and the draft out of Atlanta, Georgia, because this whole voting rights thing, which I think is great. What are they going to do about the Masters golf tournament? That's coming up. I think, is it this month in April? It's usually right around this time. Can you imagine? There's no way they would move the Masters out of Augusta, Georgia. I mean, that would probably require an act of God. <laughs> they would require an earthquake, right, to blow up the whole course for them to move the Masters out of Augusta, Georgia. So the PGA, I'm sure, will probably keep that event there. But I wonder if the PGA is going to say something, kind of how Major League Baseball is as it relates to it. So anyways, I'm excited about Padres, as you can tell. I'm a huge baseball fan, and uh, it's Friday. It's Good Friday, and it's, uh, it's well, I'm looking at the clock here. It's 322. So like when I was a youngster, I would have to be in church from 12 noon to 3 p.m. So by now I would be out of church. So uh, good that we can go to a ball game or at least watch one on TV. So again, I, I look forward to, you know, keeping the conversation going. Look, look for me on social media. You can follow me on Facebook or on Twitter or even on the YouTube comments. But I would encourage you to like, like this episode. Give it a thumbs up if you think we deserve it. Um, subscribe to our YouTube channel or any of the podcast platforms, please subscribe. And if you're really feeling generous, if you really want to help us out, the one thing I would love is to get more reviews on, on Apple podcasts. You know, Pete, we were talking about how you wanted to, you have, you have Apple CarPlay now on in, in Calypso and you're going to hopefully be streaming the podcast there on Apple podcasts. You can go into the app on your phone or on a computer and you can leave a review, you know, five stars if you think we deserve it. Um, leave a comment if you like. And last I checked, we had six reviews and they were all five star. Thank you for all of that. And only one written review, but it was a great positive review and I'm appreciative of it. But I'd love to have more of those um, because it gives credibility to the podcast and it helps us grow our audience. So if you're so inclined, that would be a way you can help me out. Okay, I have uh, two quotes, two closing quotes here. And we talked a lot about, gosh, inalienable rights as it relates to vaccines and, you know, what was it? Freedom as the carrot stick in order to get a vaccine, which I think is ass backwards. You know, you're, you shouldn't have to jump through a hoop to get what is supposed to be a right in the first place. But this is a quote from George Takai. You know, George Takai is... Lieutenant Sulu from Star Trek, the original series. 
And he's a character. He's a very outspoken guy. Um, he was actually rounded up in one of FDR's internment camps when he was a youngster. Um, and he was taken, I, I think it was from California out to Nevada or something like that. But he was one of those Japanese American citizens in the United States, a citizen that was rounded up by FDR just because of his ethnicity and put into an internment camp. Unbelievable. That's part of our history. Uh, but anyways, he's also outspoken on a lot of other things. You know, he's openly gay and speaks out a lot about uh, equal rights, gay rights, equal rights. And I'm like, right on. And I'm a big fan of George Takai. We agree on a lot. We disagree on some things, too. But this is a great quote from him. And he says, our democracy is dependent on people who passionately cherish the ideals of democracy. Yeah, right on. Okay. Every man is created equal with an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's a wonderful idea, and it takes people who cherish that idea to be actively involved in the process. What a great quote. So, yeah, we all have an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if we live that, if we didn't just talk about it or reference it as a historical line in the preamble of the Declaration, but if we literally walk the walk— then gay rights would not be an issue at all. In fact, there would be no such thing as gay rights because we would just all have the same rights. We would all have the same right to marry whomever we wish. If we all had equal rights, inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, well, Luis Campusano never would have been in, arrested in the state of Georgia. There wouldn't be restrictions on voting rights in the state of Georgia. Because we would all have equal rights, we would be maximizing liberty. Um, we wouldn't have walls on our southern border. A lot of times people will talk the talk of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It takes an, a more, you know, it takes a greater focus to implement it, to walk the walk. And as George Takai says, it's a wonderful idea, you know, inalienable rights. But it takes people who cherish that idea to be actively involved in the process. So, I'd like to think, you know, that I cherish the idea. That's why that's the higher, higher purpose of this podcast. That's why I'm fighting for the rights of the property owners on Poway Road to build on their property because they also have inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of their happiness. The other guy has rights too. So I thought that was a really good quote to share in context of the Poway Road, in context of voting. But here's another great quote here. This is a baseball quote. It's also a good self-improvement quote. This is from Bob Feller. And Bob Feller was an awesome pitcher for the Cleveland Indians in the 40s and especially in the 50s. I think he was a veteran of World War II, if I recall, but he was like an all-time great. And he says, every day is a new opportunity. You can build on yesterday's success or put its failures behind and start over again. That's the way life is with a new game every day. And that's the way baseball is. And he's, that's just, that's just so beautiful and so simple. And it's so right that every day is a new day and every day we get a chance to start over and it's a game. And I've talked about that in the context of other podcasts. A lot of how we live is a game to be played, to maximize, for lack of a better term, the number of points you accrue on the scoreboard. Some people will score points based on dollars, on wealth. 
other people will count points on the scoreboard just on their degree of happiness. And really, that's the ultimate. If we're all here on life, the, you know, the ultimate goal in life is to pursue and hopefully achieve happiness of some form. That's really the game to be played. And it's not easy. Life can be a struggle. It's difficult. But every day is a new day. And it's a new opportunity. And we can build on the success of yesterday or put its failures behind and start over again. That's the way life is with a new game every day. And that's the way baseball is. So that's a great that's a great metaphor for life. And I, I think it's I think it's a great quote. And it's another reason why I love baseball. It was 162 games. And you think, holy crap, that's just too many games. But it's just like every day is a new game. And every day is a new day. And we have new challenges and, and new new uh new hurdles to to leap over and new things to conquer. So all good. Uh Pete Neal on the live stream says, Okay, I got Apple Podcasts. I'm flagging all of our podcasts right on Pete. Well, you and I have done about 12 or 13 podcasts together. So I'm sure you can load those up and drive Calypso and you can listen to your beautiful voice as much as you like and put up with mine um, as, as little as you need to. And yeah, you can listen to all of our podcasts. Plus I'm sure you can learn more about, there's so many great podcasts that are out there. Um, the world of podcasting to me is just a great thing. Not only for me as a listener of podcasts, there's so many great shows that I listen to, uh, you know, that are really niche, really focused on very narrow, very finely crafted, targeted topics. That's what makes podcasting great. Cause there's a podcast out there that would light just about anyone's fire. But for me as a podcaster, it's great too, because I get to stand here or sit here and be self-expressive. I can exercise my First Amendment rights, but I can more importantly have a conversation with guests when they're here in the studio or when we have them online or have a conversation with people that are listening or watching here on the live stream. And I enjoy that. So for me as a podcaster, this I look forward to this every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 2 and sometimes I go a little longer than most. I'm at an hour and a half, so I'm going to wrap it up here. And Pete Neal says, oh, and I now have enough for the ride to Pahrump. Yeah, right on. So you can queue up some of our podcasts. You got to re-listen to Corvette Happiness, right? On the drive in Calypso, in your Corvette, to the Spring Mountain Raceway in Pahrump. Pete and I are going, when is it, Pete? Is it May 1st and 2nd? I think that's the dates. So I'm getting organized for that. And I'm going to go watch you on the track. And I think that'll be a lot of fun. I think that's going to be great. I want to, I'm, I'm going to enjoy that. And it's just another excuse to get out of town and, and have a little bit of a boondoggle. Okay, friends, um, this is the John Riley Project. It's episode 219. Um, you know, I like I told you before, I make these podcast episodes. You'll notice I number them, and it's usually like JRP0219. That's the one for today. And I have four digits, and I do that on purpose because I'm pushing myself to get to 1,000. I want to have at least a thousand episodes. So I'm at 219. So I'm almost 25% of the way there. Um, so I'm working towards it and I can't do it without your, your support of listening and watching. And thank you so much. And Pete says, yeah, May 1st and 2nd. So, okay, friends, I'm out of here. Have a great Friday, a good Friday and even greater weekend. It's Easter weekend. So have fun with your family and go Padres. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.